Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit CARON.org slash lost. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. The Bowery Boys, episode 47, Who's Buried? At Grant's tomb. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. The Bowery Boys is brought to you by Eurocheapo.com. Eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at Eurocheapo.com. Hi there, and welcome to the Bowery Boys. This is Greg Young. Tom's away this week. We're going to spend a little time in a tomb today, namely Grant's Tomb, the largest tomb in the United States, and the final resting place of Civil War hero and former two-term president of the United States, Ulysses S. Grant. The National Park Service calls it, of course, the General Grant National Monument. I personally call it New York City's most famous monument that everybody always seems to forget is actually in New York City, despite the fact that Grant is the only president who's buried here in the city. But there was great fanfare and excitement during the tomb's construction in the 1890s, and it's probably one of the most ostentatious places in New York, which is really saying something. You've probably noticed a common theme in some of these podcasts. Some great building or monument is created to great applause, and then decades later, in the 60s or 70s most likely, it falls into disrepair and is rescued and renovated in the nick of time in the late 80s and 90s. Well, Grant's tomb does follow that storyline, but it's a far more exaggerated version of that story, believe it or not. Grant's tomb could not have reached a lower point, which makes its rescue all the more impressive. I'll also tell you how this place of reverence to a dead Civil War icon becomes the source of hilarity and a famous one-liner to one of New York's greatest comedians. So stick around and let's dig up the true story of Grant's tomb. Grant's tomb is located in the neighborhood of Morningside Heights at Riverside Drive and West 122nd Street, close to Columbia University around the north end of Riverside Park, which, by the way, is this wonderful, great stretch of park that runs along Hudson River. It was designed by Central Park creator Frederick Law Olmsted and, believe it or not, improved upon by Robert Moses, and even later still by Donald Trump, who actually cleared out a Penn Central train yard and turned it into a lovely thin strip of parkland along the waterfront that extends actually all the way down to Midtown. Grant's tomb is 
is a grand neoclassical building with a granite staircase with these big eagles on either side. Above the door are written the words, let us have peace. Once you're inside, it's one gigantic domed room with displays on Grant's life along most of the walls and a tiny little gift shop to your left. In the middle of the room, you can look down onto the bottom floor where lies these two massive shiny brown sarcophagi, sarcophagus, sarcophagi of Grant and his wife. Around that, you have various busts of great Civil War military heroes, some of them fairly obscure today. You can actually go down and get a closer look by venturing down the stairway on the far wall. Now, before I get into the making of Grant's tomb, I do need to give you a brief three-minute bio or so on the man himself, Ulysses S. Grant. He was born on April 27th, remember that date, 1822, in Pleasant Point, Ohio, as Ulysses Hiram Grant. When he got to West Point at age 17, his middle initial was accidentally written in the books as Ulysses S, and he eventually just kept that S there, although it doesn't actually stand for anything, though his nickname was Sam. He distinguished himself in the Mexican-American War during the 1840s, and shortly thereafter married Julia Dent, the sister of a fellow officer there. Grant wasn't really a very good civilian, and during the 50s, he labored unsuccessfully as a farmer, a bill collector, and he even worked in his own father's leather shop in St. Louis, Missouri. It took the war between the states for Grant to kind of reach his potential. He fought through the entire conflict, starting as a colonel in 1861, and ending the war as the general-in-chief of all the fighting Union forces, which led the North to victory. Along the way, he commandeered startling victories in Shiloh and Vicksburg, and ultimately devised the strategy that forced the Confederacy to surrender on April 9, 1865. A year later, he was then appointed General of the Army of the United States, the country's highest military honor, and a far cry from tanning leather in Missouri, I should say. Grant became the most loved and respected American, at least in the North, and so it's no surprise that he swept into the presidency for two terms on the Republican ticket, taking office in 1869 and becoming the 18th president of the United States. Yeah, I mean, we know him as a great war hero, but did you also know that he's generally considered to be one of the worst presidents this country has ever had? He basically sat back as a depression, the Panic of 1873, wrecked havoc basically to the whole nation and to his administration. He watched his Democrats swarm into Congress and neutered almost every policy matter he even attempted, and then fell victim to a variety of financial scandals, underscoring reckless amounts of corruption throughout his government. But on the plus side, Grant did sign a bill into law that gave us Christmas as an official holiday. So you may be asking, where does New York City come into the story? Why is he buried here when it seems like he barely spent any time here at all? Well, in 1881, many years after his controversial tenure as president, Grant and his wife settled in a home in the Upper East Side. In fact, the address is 3 East 66th Street, if you want to go by there, inside of Central Park, which at that time hadn't officially been open for more than 10 years. And it was from this home that he penned articles on his old Civil War days, and he also wrote his autobiography, which brought back a little bit of his luster to his reputation and made him a good hunk of change. He died four years later in 1885 of throat cancer, upstate in Mount McGregor, New York, at the age of 63. So to put the time frame in this, a little context for you, when Grant died that year, pieces of the Statue of Liberty had just sailed into the New York Harbor, 
kind of waiting to be assembled, while just a little further away, the Brooklyn Bridge had been open for a little over two years. Before Grant had even died, he and his family had had a lengthy discussion about where to place him. West Point and St. Louis were discussed possibilities. He could have gone to Arlington Cemetery in Washington, D.C. In fact, the Senate actually had passed a bill authorizing the Army to move Grant's body to D.C., but Grant really did want to be with his wife, and his wife did live in New York. Manhattan residents had really opened themselves to Grant while he lived here, lavishing him with attention, throwing him parties. A few had even bailed him out during a personal financial crisis that almost bankrupted him. And since Julia's home was still here in New York, Grant requested that he lay and rest here in the city. New York, of course, was happy to oblige. The mayor at the time, William Grace, even offered the Grant family a few different options. Julie was even interested in Union Square as a place to put Grant's tomb, but the family eventually chose the newer Riverside Park, which at the time was still under construction and in fact wouldn't even be entirely finished until 1910. It was chosen partially because it is one of the highest elevations in Manhattan, and really, I mean, there's nothing like having a tomb looking down on the whole city. On April 19, 1995, a federal building in Oklahoma City was destroyed in a domestic terrorist attack. Just days after the bombing, America discovered the perpetrator was right-wing extremist Timothy McVeigh, whose mindset and values are still very present today. It's an American tragedy, but one I still remember very vividly. But there is so much more to the story than what you might remember. Take a deeper look into this moment of history with the podcast Homegrown OKC hosted by Jeffrey Tubin and based on his book. The Homegrown OKC podcast is about better understanding the political environment in our country today. In particular, I found fascinating all the original archival footage used in the show, sounds which brought me back to that time, but with a richer understanding of events. These episodes were thrilling to listen to. That's Homegrown OKC. To listen, search for Homegrown OKC in your podcast app. That's Homegrown OKC. So the week after he died, a massive funeral procession wound its way through the city of New York with 60,000 marchers in the procession, including anybody who was basically anybody, the president, all of Congress, all the Supreme Court justices, most living Civil War heroes on both the Union and Confederate sides. They all rode up from City Hall all the way up to Riverside Park, a procession that took up to five hours. That's like a really healthy walk, by the way. Once there, a temporary tomb had been constructed where Grant would then be interred. Temporary in this case meaning 12 years. One of the reasons it took so long is that the plans were outrageously ambitious. You know, this was the 1890s, an era when people were really in the throes of building everything on a monumental scale. And everything was a throwback to classical revivalism. In fact, the architect who was hired, John Duncan, was preparing a marble and granite structure that was less a memorial to Grant than a throwback to the ancient Greek mausoleum at Halicarnassus, one of the seven wonders of the ancient ancient world. So yes, I mean, if you're planning on duplicating one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, it's going to take you a while. Now, I mentioned the Statue of Liberty a while back. Do you remember the situation with the pedestal, how nobody could raise any money to build it? And basically, it took newspaper man Joseph Pulitzer, basically, he had to guilt trip people into donating money so it could be completed. Well, that's kind of what happens here at Grant's tomb. It took the damning words of the association president, General Horace Porter, who was actually one of Grant's former officers, to basically 
shame upper-class New Yorkers into giving money. And so eventually they did. The association raised $600,000 from contributions from private individuals, which actually ended up being the most ever raised for a public monument. Construction started in 1891 on Grant's birthday, April 27th, with the cornerstone laid the next year, also on his birthday, by President Benjamin Harrison. It took six years to build using 8,000 tons of granite, and finally was dedicated on 1897 on, oh yes, his birthday, April 27th, which would have been his 75th birthday, as a matter of fact. The Grant's tomb that greeted one million onlookers that April 27th was a far cry from what the architect Duncan had originally intended. Despite the record-setting donations, it still actually wasn't enough to accommodate Duncan's vision. The tomb was literally supposed to be twice the size, with a host of statuary that was never completed to be scattered all over the site. Now, remember that this area of Manhattan was also virtually undeveloped at the time, and Riverside Park was a far simpler place. Duncan had originally intended to have a staircase that led from the tomb all the way down the hill to the water's edge, interrupted only by a tunnel that ran underneath the stairs that trains could come rushing through. Obviously, none of this was built. So Grant was placed on a display in a sunken sarcophagus in the middle of the room, and his wife Julia joined him when she died in 1904. And I'm telling you, people came to see them. In 1906 alone, the tomb saw over 607,000 visitors and was frequently one of New York's most popular attractions, even more popular than the Statue of Liberty for like a couple decades. But already in the new century, there were signs that the enthusiasm that the 19th century Americans had for the tomb was not being shared by those in the 20th century. Plans for new additions, like an equestrian statue, were scrapped in the 1920s due to lack of funds. The only significant additions came in 1966 when the Grant Monument Association installed some mosaics in the main hall depicting scenes of Grant's life. But then that was it for the Grant Monument Association. It quickly dissolved thereafter, and the tomb fell into the hands of the National Park Service and fell, and fell. Nobody was visiting the tomb anymore by the late 50s, and the Park Service failed to help matters by stripping the interior of some of its original decor, ridding it of these display cabinets that had unique and one-of-a-kind Ulysses artifacts, small rooms in the northeast and west corners of the tomb, which had featured gigantic maps of Civil War battles, well, those were painted over in raspberry-colored paint, because nothing says patriotism like raspberry paint. When the government did grant them improvement funds in 1972, what did they do with them? Well, I mean, what would you do with them? Would you decide, let's make some strange shapeless benches made of mosaics and featuring odd and scary figures. And what we'll do is we'll put them completely around the entire perimeter of the building. Well, if you said yes to that, congratulations, you are a ranger in the National Park Service in 1972. Although I admit that these benches are actually kind of cool looking today, they're very 70-ish design, they were entirely inappropriate, and they looked ridiculous next to this old-fashioned building. Oh, but there were some notable changes to the building in the form of spray paint. By the 70s, Grant's tomb was tagged from top to bottom in a flurry of graffiti. It may be safe to say that Grant's tomb became the most horrifying place in New York. According to the official website, I, mean, I have to read this verbatim because it's incredible. According to the official website of the new Grant Memorial Association, other desecrations occurring at the site included use of explosives periodically used to blow the beaks off the tomb's granite eagles, littering, apparent prostitution, and animal sacrifice. So at the tomb of our most venerated Civil War veteran, animal sacrifice, 
and apparent prostitution. It also harbored its fair share of drug addicts, and the pavement, once filled with tourists paying respect to a Civil War hero, were now dotted with crack vials and plastic baggies. It had gotten so bad that by 1994, representatives of the state legislature in Illinois, where Grant had lived for several years and some of his ancestors still lived, had actually presented a resolution to move the bodies of Grant and his wife to Illinois. But luckily, by this time, plans were in place for a renovation and a rebirth to end all rebirths. The movement is actually attributed to a Columbia University student named Frank Scarturo, who eventually brought the site's deterioration to the attention of Congress in 1993 and helped form the new Grant Memorial Association. Luckily, the Civil War was kind of back in vogue, thanks to Ken Burns and his documentary at that time. And on top of it, the financial fortunes of the city itself were at, was actually on an uptick. The association, with the help of New York Senator Alphonse D'Amato and a few others actually sued the Park Service to motivate them to improve the site. The budget for Grant's tomb was tripled, and almost $2 million renovation was started to get the tomb in shape for its 100th anniversary. Within a few years, the entire building was brought back into shape, its display cases were restored, that ugly raspberry paint was removed. In essence, it now almost looks exactly as it did when it was built, the new and greatly improved Grant's tomb was finally unveiled to the public in 1997. On which date? I bet you can guess. Today, almost 100,000 visitors come and stay for a spell at Grant's tomb, and although it still could use some work, it's not totally perfect, it is one of New York's more peaceful and quiet attractions. Plus, it's by the park and by Columbia, which of course has its share of beautiful architecture and history to gawk out as well. So the last question I have to ask is, how did Grant's tomb become a joke? Well, Groucho Marx, who, believe it or not, was born not really so far away from Grant's tomb, on East 93rd Street on the Upper East Side, on the other side of Central Park, hosted a television game show on NBC for 11 years called You Bet Your Life. And at the end of a segment, when a contestant was clearly going to end up with no cash and prizes, he would throw them a really easy question, you know, just to give them something. Thus came the famous question, who's buried in Grant's tomb? And I mean, if you weren't a total moron and you answered Grant, then you won something. However, technically, the answer is Nobody's buried at Grant's tomb, or rather, nobody is buried at Grant's tomb. People are interred or entombed in a tomb. They aren't buried. I think the only thing ever buried at Grant's tomb was probably some crack vials in the 1970s. So when you get a chance, go up and visit Grant's tomb. Anyway, um, I'm out of here. Thanks for listening. On the blog, BoweryBoysPodcast.com, I am going to be posting some great pictures of Grant's tomb that I was able to find, including a couple of what it was supposed to look like, or rather what it looked like, I guess, in John Duncan's dreams at night. And thanks for listening. Tom will be back next week. We've got a good one in store. So have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. <laughs>